Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here with the latest edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, a sit down with three airline CEOs of three very different airlines Frontier. Hawaiian, and one you probably haven't heard about, Avello. Barry Biffle runs Frontier Airlines, and they've been in the news a lot lately. First, because of an announcement a few months back that they'd merged with Spirit. Then the bombshell news that JetBlue wanted Spirit. And then, there's the rebound in travel, led by low-cost, low-fare airlines like Frontier, and what all this means for your summer travel. Next, I'll visit with Peter Ingram, the CEO of Hawaiian Airlines. Not only is his airline the most on-time airline in the U.S., he's expanding, especially in the South Pacific. Then, my conversation with Andrew Levy, as his new airline, Avello, celebrates its first year of operation. If you happen to be flying to or from Burbank, Boise, New Haven, Las Vegas, 
and a few other cities you might want to pay attention. First up, Frontier Airlines CEO, Barry Biffle. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Barry Biffle, welcome back. Thanks for having us, Peter. So let's talk about this. When you and I last spoke, the, the recovery lead was going to be the leisure sector. It was going to be low fare carriers. That turned out to be more than true. I mean, that's really what happened. Leisure travel came back with a vengeance when we're actually starting to see that in the, in the business travel world now as well. And when that happened, of course, and I'm not saying it was Frontier, but every airline was doubling down on new routes. Uh, or, you know, if you, if you take a look at what Southwest Airlines added in terms of, the, of a route in a given year prior to the pandemic, they might have added one. They ended up 30, right? And next thing you know, you see systems start to melt down where they can't support the schedule, and, but the demand is there. We have this sort of like inverse relationship now where airlines are cutting capacity in many cases at the very moment that demand is soaring. That's crazy. It is, but but I would just say in our defense as an industry, yeah. uh, Peter, we I mean you and I I think first started talking a lot during during the beginning of the pandemic, yeah. and and we I know at Frontier have been kind of ahead of the the recovery for a long time, so we flew a lot of empty seats, if you will, um, kind of anticipating and hoping for a recovery. It is finally coming in, but um, you know you're still not quite back to to the load factors that we had before. So so there's 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 actually just starting to become an equilibrium. So I wouldn't say that demand is outstripping supply yet. Not yet, but in, in some markets they couldn't support it. Uh, now that, that is true. Now in your situation, as an airline, you were ahead of the pack in terms of saying, okay, we're going to start flying to places we've never flown before, right? Especially international. Yeah, you know, we had been investing in international prior to the to the to the pandemic, but uh, yes, we've we've continued to invest and we've continued to take delivery of aircraft. And so, yes, we, we, we were probably growing more than, than uh, maybe people would expect it during a pandemic. And this year, we're going to continue to grow. We're, we'll be up 10 to 12% this year. Um, so, so I think it's, uh, you know, versus 2019. So, yes, we're, we're continuing to grow. Uh, people, there's a thirst for travel. And so we're, we're looking to continue to expand. Now, of course, you did not expand to Hawaii, but you expanded a lot in Latin America. You expanded a lot in the Caribbean, right? And you're doing, I mean, I... I was talking to one of your guys who, uh, every time I talk, where are you? He says, oh, I'm opening another route this week. I'm opening another route this week, right? All throughout, I mean, everywhere short of, uh, I think, Brazil, you were flying. Yes, our airport organization has been been very busy uh, opening new routes, and and so uh, they they've got quite the cadence and and got that down. But yes, we we we've continued to grow both domestically and near international, and and a lot of exciting destinations in the Caribbean, uh, especially. So so it's a great time uh, for the growth, and and there's more to come. At the beginning of this year, as be, as demand started to grow, you saw airfares going up at about you know maybe seven percent every month. Then it became 7% every two weeks. Then it became 7% every 10 days. I mean, I'll give you an example. My airfare about a month ago from LA to, to San Francisco, a 38-minute flight round trip was 93 bucks. Today it's 410, right? My airfare between New York and LA, a route that I fly at least once every two weeks, was $290 about five weeks ago. Now it's almost 800 bucks. 
So we're seeing huge increases, and we're not even fully in summer yet. We're not even starting there yet. So where do you see that curve going? It, well, look, I, I can't defend what carrier was charging you 290 but that was probably a little too cheap for that length of haul. But uh, look, I, I think what you're seeing is you're seeing airfares recover as demand is recovered. Um, look, I, I don't think anyone thought that these industry-low airfares were, were going to last. Um, but I would say that if, if you look on a relative basis, I think overall airfares um, compared to the other parts of travel, whether it be hotel, car rentals, Uber, your, your restaurant bill, I still I would say that, that if you look, on balance, we're probably still a smaller percentage of the total travel portfolio. And I think further, I think if you look inflation adjusted, I think they're still not not completely out of whack. Um, but in Frontier's case, look, we, we, we pride ourselves in having the lowest price option. And all I would tell you is that, that continue to look at Frontier while our fares are up marginally because of fuel and other input costs, uh, you can still count on us to have the low fare and people can, can travel, uh, especially relative to their income increases, uh, much cheaper than they were even 10 years ago. But you're still challenged, as is everybody in the industry, because of fuel prices, inflation, oh, sure. the situation in Ukraine, and it all has an, an, an impact. Yeah, so so we're America's greenest airline. We, we use 10 gallons of fuel to move a seat 1,000 miles. Uh, you know, there's some other airlines out there, that, the big airlines, that, that use 15 gallons. So by saving that fuel, even though fuel's approaching $4 a gallon, you know, we're able to save you, just in that example, $20 each way, just in fuel costs. So, so yes, we're, we're, we're not immune to increases in fuel, um, but we dampen that down. And so on a relative basis, I think you can still save with a carrier like Frontier. Now, there's a story not too long, well, a couple of years ago, actually, you know, about how genius Southwest Airlines was because they hedged their fuel costs. And they were buying it ahead at a lower price. Are you doing any kind of hedging these days, or, or can you? So no, we, we, we are not hedging today. We, we've done it in the past. We've studied it extensively, and, and our conclusion is is that the bankers always make money, but but uh, you may or may not uh, to uh, come out okay. And and because the industry overall does not hedge, the pressures on the industry are pretty much flowed through almost immediately. And because we actually burn so much less fuel, we kind of have an embedded hedge. So the pressure on the broader industry is greater than us. So so we feel very comfortable with our position with it. Now, a couple of months ago, I know you can't talk too much about this, but a couple of months ago, you guys made front page news. With the announcement of Spirit and Frontier, I don't even want to call it a merger. One was going to buy the other, but the point is you were getting together. And then completely out of left field just a couple of weeks ago was a bigger front page story that JetBlue is now making an offer for Spirit. Just just a few days ago, Spirit's board said, not interested in the JetBlue offer, so you guys are back on the table again. Yeah, so look, we're, we're, we're pleased with the Spirits Board's decision, but uh, you know, as we've said from the beginning, we think this is great for consumers. It's going to save consumers a billion dollars a year uh, in the combined airlines. Well, you fly the same, the same planes. Oh, we, oh, that gets to why the, the, it makes so much more sense than anything else out there. Not only do we fly the same planes, but uh, we have very similar business models, very similar cultures. And so it's really good for our employees. It's great for our shareholders, and it's, and it's really great for consumers. I so, mean, if you really go down the list, your spare parts inventory becomes interesting at that point. Uh, your pilot training. There's, uh, a, there's a lot of ways for us to become even more efficient, and, and that should benefit consumers. And do you really overlap on that many routes? Uh, no, it's 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 not significant overlap, and 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 in fact, I, I think uh, you know as you as you've seen and we've demonstrated, what's really important is is what we can to do together and provide meaningful competition to the big four. Exactly, and then, you know, assuming this happens and assumes it, it it clears all the regulatory hurdles, 
Do you have a timetable in mind? We have said from the beginning we, we believe that uh, this can close by the end of the year. Okay. And then you become then a low fare juggernaut. We, we, we believe that uh, we, I don't know about juggernaut's the right word, but uh, look, we, we, we You'd believe accept that, that word. Come on. Yeah, we, we believe in the merits of the deal, and, and, and we're just excited about what it can do for consumers and our employees. I think it, I think it'd be a great time because it, it would give us the ability to have real depth in a lot of cities that, uh, you know, will take us a decade to grow on our own to that size. You know, there was a point not too long ago, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but you would say, okay, there's no more consolidation coming in the airline business. All the big merges have happened, you know, or, or, the, or the, you know, the, the, um, the swallowing has gone on, whether it was Alaska taking over Virgin America or other smaller carriers. Are we done with it now? Look, I, I can't speculate about other deals. We're, I just know we're excited about the one that we have on the table. Even though we can't talk about it, the, the, the proposed merger or consolidation between Frontier and Spirit is back on the table. We'll have to see what happens. Uh, you just announced in Denver that you're going to say X number of minutes in terms of your operations by saying, you know what, we don't need your stinking jetways. We're going to have passengers go downstairs and go up portable stairs on both the front and the back of the plane. So two very two entrance points. Do you really think you're going to save a lot of time doing that? Uh, we think we're going to save time, and we think we're going to deliver a better experience, Peter. Um, the facts are that if you look in, whether it be Latin America or in Europe, take Europe, for example, uh, you take Ryanair, EasyJet, you know, even a lot of the legacies, the ground loading is very, very common. And it's very simple. If, what is the fastest way on and off a plane? Use more than one entrance and more than one exit and so boarding from the front and the rear just gives you a lot more options and there's nothing more frustrating than being on row 30 when you pull up and you're the last one to get off so and and, and it just seems that five minutes seems like an eternity so you eliminate that oh, by, by the way it is an eternity it is an eternity and it's, it's 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 just one of those psychological things so so what we figured out is people really like it uh there's also that component of i've been inside an airplane you know just that breath of fresh air for a moment uh, before I go into the terminal or one less breath breath of fresh air before I get on the plane. Same thing. So it's it's actually a better experience. And and, and uh, you know, you, for the naysayers, um, most likely they get out to the parking lot and they're, off, they're in open air that, you know, a couple of minutes as well. So so it's it's a better experience. But, yes, it's, it's also going to enable us to run a safer operation uh, because, quite candidly, the jet bridges tear up more doors than you can imagine. There's always damage with them. And it's just one more component that can break. And it's much faster and cleaner uh, to operate the aircraft. So you I'll, save I'll, money, yeah. and it's safer, and it's better experience. Well, I'll give you another scenario. I'm going I'm to give this idea a, a chance here. Let's say everything goes right. It's a beautiful day. You board five minutes early. You're on a brand new plane. It even has that brand new plane smell. You're sitting on the plane. The pilot's happy to see you. The flight attendants are great. The food's delightful. You get in the air. There's no turbulence. Everything is wonderful. The seat's open next to you. And then the pilot makes an announcement, which even makes the day even better. Will the flight attendants please prepare for an early arrival? This is your day. And then you land, and there's no jetway available. So to me... That's another reason why your idea might work. Because at every airport, unless I'm crazy, there are penalty boxes where planes can park outside of the jetways where you can unload and offload passengers. I, can't, I, I couldn't understand for the life of me why we'd have to wait on a jetway to get, get, you know, to get people off the plane. 
Well, you're absolutely right, Peter. And so, I mean, we're, since you since you went there, um, there's yes, more, I did go there. There's more than just you know what I just described a moment ago. So, it's it's cheaper and easier to pour concrete than it is to actually build jet bridges. So, if you want to get to the most efficient and the most flexible for customers, is actually to have the ability to do what's called power in and power out. So you don't even, you know, connect to a tug on the ground and you literally pull up, park, and you can get off. And it's a lot easier. Well, it takes a little more real estate. It doesn't work maybe in LaGuardia, but most places where you have plenty of real estate, um, you can have a lot more parking positions. So you don't have that situation where you're waiting for a gate that just happens over and over and over. And and even if you're a little bit slow getting one of the two, you're going to have one of the two stair, air stairs showing up. So, so that frustration that people have when you get there, and there's nothing worse than being early even, and yet you're waiting for a gate. So you, you eliminate a lot of that. With and this, can you with do that problem. at almost every one of your stations? So we're, we're starting in Denver. We're, we're talking to several major airports about it. Um, we went through a phase in this country of jet bridge, jet bridge, jet bridge. And in fact, they even did it with a lot of the regional aircraft. So we're trying to undo a lot of that. But I think as people figure out how much more useful it is, and quite honestly, it's, it's, it's less capital intensive for the airport. So it's, so it's a great way for them to expand. Uh, and and uh, grow without a lot of capital and a better experience. So we've got a lot of airports that are really interested in, in adding our next kind of levels of growth uh, through this mechanism. Now, for most planes, and correct me if I'm wrong, when you pull up to a gate, right, you shut the engines down, and somebody plugs in external power. If you're parked 100 feet out, can they still plug in the external power? So you can have you can have portable uh, GPU units. You can also have um, in the ground. So just because it's it's away from the terminal, you can even have fuel pits as well as as, as power from the ground. But uh, um, they're, they're, most of them, we're looking at a, a variety of carts. Um, but initially, you'll use a little more of our of our APUs for air and 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 power. Uh, but uh, but again, it's that means the, auxiliary power unit. The auxiliary power unit, which is in there, so you can shut off the main engines. Uh, but uh, look, overall, the the total combination, like I said, is going to be more efficient and by, provide a better experience. I remember a story that came out of Africa a couple of years ago where they overbooked the plane by 30 people, and they were boarding using the portable stairs on the outside, and a riot was breaking out. The military shows up, orders everybody off the plane, and lines them up under the wing and say, okay, here's the deal. When I shoot my gun, you run around the plane three times, then you can board. Whoever boards first gets a seat. <laughs> and guess what? It worked, and they, oh, the 30 people didn't make the plane. You don't like that idea, I don't think, no. That would wouldn't be fair, if you, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess the ones that with with in the in the most most physical shape, I guess, got on first. Exactly. Well, listen, then the plane flies out lighter. You save more fuel. How do you think? I don't think consumers would like that. No, I don't think so either. But I had to share the story. <laughs> it's a great story. It's a true story. My thanks to Barry. Hawaiian Airlines has quite a history, and from an operational point of view the airline seems to work quite well. It boasts the best on-time performance of any U.S. airline, not just this year, but for many years running. And it's not just flying to Hawaii, but beyond, to Australia, Japan, even American Samoa. And not to mention flying from Hawaii to Los Angeles, New York, Las Vegas, even Austin, Texas, just to name a few routes. And CEO Peter Ingram is even adding a few places. 
Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. Peter, thanks for, for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here. So, you know, Hawaii was, let's put this in perspective, the most restricted state during COVID. As an island state, you were completely shut off and shut down. Um, if you, even if you wanted to come, you had to, you know, you had to perform some serious quarantining and, and testing and multiple testing and then testing again. And at a point where you had some counties not talking to other counties and, you know, Maui doing things that Honolulu wasn't doing. And, and yet, now that you're open you're really open. I mean, no mask restrictions now, no testing, no quarantining. And I'm sure that's reflected in your airlift. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we've come a long way from the, the trough. And as you say, from you know, the end of March 2020 until the 15th of October, um, it was almost impossible to travel here. We had a, a hard uh, 10-day quarantine for anyone who came in. No uh, no real exceptions. Uh, that was pre-vaccine uh, period. We saw recovery uh, before now. Things have you know started to come back with the safe travels program that came in in October of of 2020. I remember and, wearing my wrist, wristband. Yes. 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 Uh, I wore the wristband a lot of times myself, <laughs> actually. Uh, and then as we moved into 2021 with the ability to, to qualify for the quarantine exemption with a, uh, as long as you had been vaccinated, that allowed us to have a pretty decent summer for the domestic market last year. We went up and down a little bit the back half of last year as the Delta variant wave and then later the Omicron wave came through. But right now, I'm really encouraged. I'm seeing uh, bookings very strong. People really do want to travel. If anything, I think the pandemic um, made us appreciate how much we like getting out and seeing nature, interacting with other people, with new places. And Hawaii, I think, it's is like got the top that of that in. list for everyone. It's got it baked in. Yeah. But then, of course, there were some airlines during the pandemic. Uh, I, I'm reminded of, of Qatar, for example. They completely pivoted and became a cargo carrier. You know, and they were, they were ripping out seats and putting in pallets in the old passenger compartment. Were you able to do some cargo flights? We were, we were doing um, things like that. We had all cargo flights coming from... Uh, Seoul, South Korea, uh, here into Hawaii. We had some flights that we did direct to the U.S. mainland. We did a number of uh, charters for uh, the U.S. military, a business that Hawaiian was in decades ago that um, that hadn't been a core part of our business. It, it certainly wasn't replacing the revenue we lost from the passenger uh, business, right. but at a time when we had um, idle airplanes and idle assets, it was a chance for us to go and chase some revenue, and our team got very creative and, and went after it. What was the craziest cargo you took? Oh, I, I think there was, um, I mean, one notable one we had was a, a very complicated charter to organize into Shenzhen, China, and we brought back uh, I, I think it was 1.6 million um, face coverings right at the, the beginning of uh, masks being required or recommended. Uh, it was, it was uh, a, card, a charter we did for a, a charity group that had organized uh, 
uh, masks to come in here to Hawaii. You know, we, I go back to the days when uh, the old days of South Pacific International Airlines, SPIA, when they were flying down to American Samoa and the old 707s. You have that route system even today, right? You're still flying. Uh, yeah, uh, American Samoa has been part of our network for, I think, going on 35 uh, years now. Uh, we have restarted that now. American Samoa had an even harder, um, uh, more restrictive quarantine restriction than uh, Hawaii, and we had suspended service for a, a while. We're, we're flying on a, a limited basis now, working closely with the, uh, the government, and but that's an important part of our network. It's a, an, an extended part of our Pacific Island family. I mean, the last time you and I spoke, you know, and, and many of my, my listeners might not even be aware of this. I mean, your route network extends to New Zealand. You're down in Australia. You're in, in Japan. You mentioned Korea. Right, that's been going on for quite some time. It, yeah, it has. Um, and New Zealand is one where we had a little bit of a, a news announcement this week. We haven't flown there since the middle of March 2020. We're resuming that um, that service three times a week, starting in the um, the first week of July. So we're excited to get back to New Zealand. We started um, Sydney back up uh, again after a hiatus. Uh, in December of last year. Uh, we are flying to Korea. That service is going to be accelerating now that they're reducing some of their restrictions. And um, Japan is is the biggest part of our international of network. Of course, always has been. That's the one piece that's not all the way back yet. There's, there's still a number of restrictions and there's some hard cap limitations on the number of people who can, uh, can enter Japan internationally each day. And that's constraining us a bit but i think the demand there is is as pent up as it is everywhere else and we're going to see a robust recovery when those restrictions get lifted i mean when you take a look at the whole south pacific market these are island nations that without airlift there goes their economy well i i I think when you live on on the, the mainland that is something that people don't have an appreciation for is how how essential uh, air transportation is. And, and you look at Hawaiian Airlines, we've been uh, in operations for 92 years. The core of our business initially, and still a, a main fan foundational piece of our business, is just flying between the islands of the state. Right. And you know there are no surface transportation options on a regular basis. There's certainly no roads, um, no trains. Um, it is more complicated than you would think to try and travel on a boat uh, between the islands. Well, there's no so, real ferry service. I think maybe out of Lanai, maybe once a day or something. Yeah, yeah there, there's service from Lanai connecting to Maui, but really right. getting, you know, on the, you the 100 to 250 mile flights that we fly, we carry millions of passengers each year. And it, it is uh, it is people traveling for mundane reasons that if you uh, live on the mainland United States, you would think about well, I'm going to do that in my car. Um, in here, people come to the airport and they get on a Hawaiian Airlines plane, and um, we, we see many of the same construction workers and uh, medical employees on a very regular basis. You know, when you think of inter-island travel, of course, I go back to the days where you had Hawaiian, you had Aloha, you had um, a couple of smaller carriers that came and went almost before you could pronounce their names. Yeah, there was Mid-Pacific. Mid-Pacific, was, was right. One of the ones. Right, and now you have Mocha Is it Mokalele? Mokalele. Yeah. But Aloha has been gone for a while, right? Aloha um, has been gone since 2008. I know. And and now you have Southwest coming in. So now they're, you're probably your biggest competitor in our island. 
Yeah, they're they're the uh, they're the largest um, competitor uh, to us. Um, we're we're still um, far and away the largest carrier between the islands. And and as I said, we've been we've been doing this for ninety two years, and it's uh, it's core to what we do. It's not a uh, it's it's not a peripheral business for us. This is something that uh, that we intend to be doing for the next ninety two years. And the aircraft that you're using in those flights. Are those the old MD-80s or the, or the 717s? Or? These are the, the Boeing 717s, yeah. which was, uh, you know, was originally the, the MD-95 exactly. before Boeing bought McDonnell Douglas. It's actually, it's a fantastic airplane uh, for that mission because McDonnell Douglas, as you know, you're someone who, uh, who is familiar with airplanes, that they, they were noted for making really um, durable aircraft. And when you're putting... 15, 16 cycles a day on an airplane because you're flying 30-minute hops. By the way, a cycle is a takeoff and a landing. I'm just letting everybody know, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. when you're you're putting that many takeoffs and landings on an airplane, uh, it's a lot of wear and tear. And those those airplanes have been fantastic. We've been flying them since 2001, and there's not a... Not a better aircraft out there for that mission. So you you, you basically have a, a two two airplane fleet, right? I mean, you have seven one sevens, and you've got the A3, the A three thirties. We've also got A three twenty one Neos that we ah, we, we, we began in. flying in uh, twenty seventeen. So uh, we've got we've got a fleet of eighteen Neos, which are uh, fantastic aircraft for. Uh, Hawaii to the West Coast service. Really, it's by, by far the most fuel-efficient airplane out there for that mission. You know, all the lessons that were learned during COVID operationally is, is on one level. Then there's customer service operational levels that you had to learn as well. I mean, you know, one of the biggest complaints that were actually out there industry-wide, not about your airline, you know, refunds or call waiting times on, on trying to get customer service. And we all know the staffing shortages are industry-wide. How have you adjusted to all of that? Well, I, I, I think if there was one word to describe it, we, we've, we've had to become more nimble and, and it has presented a, a lot of challenges. You talked about call waiting times. One of, one of the challenges is you, you build staffing models that are predicated on past uh, models, uh, past models yeah. and a lot of people using, using the website to transact with us. But Until now something we've, goes got, wrong, yeah. we've got millions and millions of dollars of people who have vouchers from trips that they weren't able to take in 2020. Some of those need to be processed manually. That puts a lot of strain yeah. on the call center. And so it is a lot of what we've done has been disrupted. We're used to making schedules that you put out there six months in advance. You can't do that anymore. They don't change very much, and, and we've had to become a lot more dynamic. I mean, it's one thing to update your fares 200,000 times a day, but now you're updating your schedule 200,000 times a day. That exactly. never used to happen. Yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the surprise airfare that I saw uh, just this week came out of Southwest, and what it was is this, and, and I'm going to speak to you as a, as a fellow passenger. Uh, if I buy a ticket in my name, and for whatever reason, I can't use the ticket. Three years ago, there may have been you know, draconian ticket change fees. Well, that's changed now. United led the way with that. So now you get a credit, right, which you can then use up to about a year. But up until now, you could only use it in your name, right? So if I didn't take the flight and Peter Greenberg couldn't go, I couldn't give it to Peter Ingram. Southwest Airlines just announced a fare this week that says, by the way, they're pricing it a little bit higher than their regular economy fare. But it gives you the option that if you can't go and there's a credit in your account, I can give it to you. What do you think about that? Well, I I think one of the things, I'll just talk about it from our perspective at Hawaiian Airlines and and refer to that a a little more generally. I think we have 
um, taken a step back as we restarted travel again and said, um, what are some of the things that we can do to be a better airline for our guests? Um, one of the things we did, and we weren't the first to do this, but um, but we made our Hawaiian miles never expire. We I um, heard that on the plane. Yep. We we eliminated um, change fees, and and I I think it has helped um, freshen our perspective around. Um, let's think of some of the impediments we have to people having a great experience um, with us, uh, and sometimes those impediments. Uh, the, those impediments are there's a business reason for it but maybe it's not as good a business reason as we always thought and should yeah. we rethink and break some of those paradigms and yeah the disruption of the last two years was um was a time when paradigms got broken so i i think yeah. we're a little more open to thinking about those things you know the the, the complaints that we're getting from our listeners and, and that won't come any surprise to you you know people had weddings or family reunions or uh, conventions and stuff that, of course, either got postponed or canceled. They already bought the flight. The wedding's over. The family reunion's not going to happen again, and they're stuck with a ticket that they don't think they can use, even if it's a credit. Then what do they do? Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things we've tried to do is make sure we give people as many opportunities as possible to take advantage of those. So we have, we have a couple of times extended... Um, the validity period right. of vouchers so that people have more of an opportunity to um, to plan that next trip. I mean, I have to laugh. I get an email every once in a while telling me how many credits I have. I'm like going, oh my God, I'm never going to be, how do I do it, right? And because I, there were a lot of flights I didn't take, you know? I, I, I think that just means that you're going to have to make another trip out to here to Hawaii soon. <laughs> nice segue, Peter. Uh, but... In terms of your route network, right, are there, are there places now that you're going to fly to that you weren't going to fly to before or places now that you're not going to fly to that you did fly to before? Well, we, we actually um, somewhat remarkably added some new routes to our network in the middle of the pandemic. So, you know, over a period of uh, about six or eight weeks last year, um, we added flight between Honolulu and Ontario, California. We added a, uh, a nonstop flight between Honolulu and Austin. We connected Honolulu and Orlando, and we, we added a Long Beach Maui flight. So, at, is, at a, is Honolulu, Orlando your, your longest flight? Uh, our longest flight is Honolulu to Boston. Ah, that's, okay. Let's see. Uh, the, the, the longest um, domestic flight in the United States, actually. Really? Ahead of number two, which is Hawaiian Airlines Honolulu JFK. Well, that brings up the next thing. People may not know this, and it may come as a surprise to you, and you'll tell me how many years in a row this has happened, but Hawaiian Airlines consistently scores as the number one on-time punctual airline in America. Yeah, it's something something we take uh, a lot of uh, pride in, and um, one of the things you know people might say is, well, you know, it's blue skies and sunshine all the time, and and there's an element of truth to that, but it's it's also true that when you're flying quick turns on 30 minutes flights on our neighbor island network it really takes a team working together and our, our folks take a lot of pride on it and they do a great job we have we have the finest aviation professionals in the world working for our company and they take a lot of pride in delivering outstanding service well for what it's worth on my flight from maui here today we pushed back four minutes early and we landed 10 minutes early fantastic yeah that never happens that is that is absolutely set up so the next flight can be on time too. No, so it, now you, uh, it now warms you, my heart. You, the bar is high now. The bar is high. My thanks to Peter. Chances are you haven't heard of Andrew Levy. 
or his airline, Avello. But Levy has some airline experience. Prior to starting this one-year-old airline, he was president of Allegiant Air and formerly was chief financial officer at United. So he knows the numbers. And he's now flying Avello between underserved cities in the U.S. on nonstop flights that don't go through major airport hubs. Andrew, uh, first of all, happy anniversary. You just celebrated your first year flying. Thank you, Peter. It's amazing. It's, uh, it's uh, exciting, uh, but I can't believe how quickly it's gone by. You know, when you first started, uh, you know, I, I remember the, the flights you had going out of Burbank up to the Pacific Northwest. You, uh, you had a pretty ambitious route system. Some of them made it. Some of them didn't. You added some new ones in the, in, the, in the process. I guess the first question I have to ask is, how was it operating an airline in the middle of the pandemic? Well, you know, I think our timing could have been better. I'll, I'll give you that. It was, uh, it was challenging. I, you know, I mean, look, starting a new airline with a, you know, a new brand and trying to build awareness is obviously a challenge under any circumstance. But um, what certainly made it more challenging was being in the pandemic, of course, which we knew when we started. But what we didn't anticipate, although, you know, not surprising, but, you know, Delta, that variant hit us uh, really hard in the middle of July, just as things were really starting to build momentum at a really peak time of year. And so that really kind of kind of knocked us back a little bit. And then, of course, you know, then we start to get to something that looks more normal uh, in October, November. And then next thing you know, we get hit with Omicron. So uh, uh, that set us back a little bit. But um, but, you know, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, that's kind of how I view where we are. We're, we're in a good spot now. Uh, you know, obviously the pandemic, uh, I'm not sure anybody's declared it to be over just yet, but, but certainly we hope that the worst is behind us. And uh, we are, uh, I think we're in a good position right now and really excited to uh, start up our second year of operation. Well, as you're starting at the second year, why don't you educate me and our audience as to where you're actually flying? Well, um, so, Peter, you know, uh, a year ago, as you noted, we started out in Burbank. That is still uh, our West Coast operation centered around uh, L.A.'s best airport, Burbank, a wonderful airport uh, right in the heart of uh, L.A. County. And uh, we serve uh, a number of markets in the western U.S. Uh, most of the ones that we were serving last year when we spoke are still there. And we've added uh, uh, quite a few, and there's a couple more that are just about to start with service to Boise, Idaho, and Spokane, Washington, uh, with nonstop service to Boise, or excuse me, to Burbank. Um, and uh, But what we did shortly after we started Burbank is we uh, finished up a deal to open up a new base at Tweed Airport in New Haven, Connecticut. So we started that in early November. And we have now six airplanes flying around uh, in that part of the world. We're going from Tweed down to various points in Florida, uh, the Carolinas, uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh, Nashville. And uh, uh, just in a few short weeks, we're going to be starting service to uh, Baltimore, Washington International Airport, Chicago Midway, uh, as well as Raleigh-Durham. So we're, we're really excited about uh, both coasts and how they're performing and very excited about, uh, like I mentioned before, just this next, the, the second year of operations. We, uh, we have a lot that we're excited about doing and uh, a lot of growth still to come. You know, you talk about how the travel business is going to be led by the, by the leisure sector. That certainly qualifies for you. Uh, we saw uh, one of your competitors, uh, 
longstanding veteran David Nealman start Breeze with almost the same sort of philosophy of, of flying between two cities that weren't necessarily connected through a hub where you weren't where you were taking your targets, I guess, were underserved airports that needed to go to other underserved airports and then becoming the dominant carrier in that market. Am I, am I sort of right on the track there? Well, it certainly seems like that's what they're doing over there. And uh, look, I mean, David's been around a long time, just as I have. And uh, I think that we all know that uh, that the best way to get going in this business as a new entrant is to find opportunities out there that others aren't serving. And uh, certainly uh, we did that for you know 14 years when I was at Allegiant, going into new markets uh, that nobody else served. And uh, that served uh, Allegiant very well while I was there and continues uh, to uh, serve them quite well. Um, and, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of the same things, just trying to do something that others aren't doing, offering consumers choice, low fares, a highly reliable product, and, uh, and with really friendly crew members. So we've got a winning combination. Um, and we're certainly excited about what we're doing, and we expect to do a lot more of it as we move on. One of your strategies, and I, I think it also applies to what you did at, at, at Allegiant, is frequency. You're not flying Boise to Burbank four times a day, seven days a week. Yeah, that's a good way to lose a lot of money quickly um, if we were to do something like that. And and uh, and the reason I say that is, you know, look, we're just starting. And uh, uh, to me, you know, you have to mitigate your risk. And so you got to spread yourself out. you got to have a little bit of frequency. Um, in a lot of different places, um, as you noted, we are a, a leisure-oriented carrier. We are not uh, going to be your businessman's airline, so to speak. That's just not what we're structured to do. And, and quite honestly, if we try to do that, we would fail because uh, we're, we're too new, we're too small, we have a brand that no one knows. Uh, and so you, know, you can't get to the level of frequency without having the awareness. Um, and you can't really carry those customers without that level of frequency. So, you know, we'll see how things develop over time. Um, we typically start off routes with anywhere from two to four trips a week. Uh, there's exceptions there. We're certainly doing a bit more in the East Coast where we found very big markets. So, you know, Tweed, which is really serving Connecticut and, and predominantly Southern Connecticut, uh, that's a unique opportunity to uh, fly into really big markets in Florida and in the Carolinas uh, and elsewhere, as I mentioned, we're going to be starting soon. Um, and so we're going to big markets uh, there and taking people who have been really kind of been on this island where it was really hard for them to get away. They were just used to driving a really long distance to LaGuardia or JFK or White Plains. And now we've offered just this uh, phenomenal convenience service offering. Um, and in that case, you know, we've been able to add more frequency quickly. In the West, we're going into some smaller markets. And really, again, we're trying to do things that others aren't doing. So uh, for us to go, let's say, Burbank, Vegas is an example. Well, Southwest does a lot of that, you know. So we can't really add anything unique to that market. Um, but when we look at markets like a Boise, where there was no nonstop service when we announced, there is, there is some new response uh, from Alaska Airlines. Uh, so they've added a, a few trips a week in there. But um uh, but, you know, whether it's uh, Santa Rosa, uh, which is the same 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 scenario, there was no nonstop service in the Burbank, Medford, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon, et cetera, et cetera. You know, everything we do, we're the first ones to do it. And, and that's that's really the business model. We want to offer choice. Now, we, you know, it needs to be a market we think can work. There has to be enough interest and in flying between those two points. But 
uh, you know, people like going to Southern California and people in Southern California like going to the places that we serve in the Western U.S. Uh, and so that's, that, that is, uh, you know, we feel great about that. And certainly uh, up in the Northeast, people really like flying south, especially in the wintertime. And we, uh, we've seen that over the past few months as we've performed very, very well with our flights to Florida. And we're excited to start offering some destination markets that are uh, a little bit more um, popular as the, as things get a little warmer in Florida. You know, people want to go down to Myrtle Beach and Savannah and Charleston, uh, and we'll be you know adding those. Those will start up in just the next couple of days here. So we're we're excited about where we are, and we have a very very optimistic view of the future for Avalo. Of course, uh, you know the the interesting thing is going back historically, you got to stay true to your brand definition. You know, the thing that ended Freddie Laker was when he put a first class section in. And the thing that ended MGM Grand was when they put a coach section in. Because you you have to be who you are. Yep. Uh, now, the other question for I you. I think that's true. Yeah. The other question for you is, of course, the intangible of fuel. You know, every airline knows this. You've known it because you've been in the business so long. You can't, you know, those two intangibles of labor and fuel. When you started out, you had $29 fares. Do you still have $29 fares? Um, you know, we actually started out with $19 average fare. Excuse and, um, me. <laughs> I'm, shaking when I say, I'm shaking a little bit when I say that because I never want to see a $19 fare ever again. Um, <laughs> no, we don't have we don't have fares that low anymore, Peter, and, uh, and, and we really can't afford to. I, I mean, you know, those were always kind of, hey, gotcha, let's, let's, let's kind of you know, capture your, your eyeballs and, and introduce ourselves to the world. Um, obviously, we're a local airline. And, and we live off of volume. We need to fill up airplanes. And to fill up airplanes, you need to offer compelling value to consumers. That's what gets them to, I got to get on our airplanes. Um, but, I got you. Um, Andrew, yeah, look, Andrew I got we're it. We're out of time. But I just want to say I look forward to your second anniversary. Congratulations again. And uh, I'll see you up there in, in some of those new airports. I'll try to fly Boise to Burbank. My thanks to Andrew, to Peter Ingram, and to Barry Biffle. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the travel news, and it's ramping up, just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News Business Analyst, Certified Financial Planner, and host of the Money Watch Podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. 
Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.